morning, virtual people. Uh, before we got going this morning, Sean talked about, hey, how we're supposed to have an audience of one, uh, meaning that in our life, that you know, matter, no matter what we do, that God's opinion is the only one that matters, and that if I get up here and do this, or uh, Aaron gets up here and, and does worship, man, our, our goal is that we're just doing it for the glory of God, we're doing it for God, and that he's to be our audience of one, uh, but this takes on a whole new dimension, and, and, it, and man, it's a reality that, that there is just an audience of one, and it is the camera in front of me. So, uh, I want to thank you for joining us this morning. Um, I'm going to pray uh, before we get started. Jesus, we thank you, God, for computers. Thank you for the internet. Thank you that, that even though we're not allowed to gather, Father, we can gather online through video like this, Lord. And so I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and inhabit the houses, the places uh, that all your people are gathered right now listening to this video. Uh, Lord, and, and so I just ask God for your blessing upon this time, even with the chaos of maybe kids running around the house and, and everything that's going on. Give us just uh, ears to hear and eyes to see this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this morning, um, I would just like to take some time uh, to really kind of challenge our thinking. I think sometimes that one thing that I like to do and sometimes that, that we can kind of fall into is if we can fall into routines um, in our life and, and especially in church life, you know, we can just start going through the motion, so to speak. And, and, and I think that's a, in America, it's really easy to do that because we live in such a comfortable world. And I often have to check myself and say, why am I doing the things I'm doing? And, and we can go large scale as far as like a church, like why are we doing the way the things that we're doing? And we can also go down to our own life of like, hey, I have a quiet time every morning, but it's so easy to just fall into a routine where I read the word, but man, I'm really not engaging or I'm not really being transformed at a certain level. You know, even I think about communion, you know, it's like, why do we take communion the way we do it? Do we just do it because that's what we've always done? And it's a good thing. Obviously, Jesus instituted it, but it can become such a routine and we can look at discipleship. We can look a lot of things into church and in our lives and think, gosh, why do we do the things that we do? And I just want to take a, a fresh look at the scriptures this morning um, and maybe see if we can put the priorities that God has above our own agenda. Francis Chan said this, most of us assume that what we believe is right, but have never really studied ourselves. We were simply told, quote, this is the way it is. And did not question it. The problem is much of what we believe is often based on, and listen to this, based more on comfort or our culture's tradition than on the Bible. Remember the Bereans. If you remember the Bereans in Acts chapter 17, Paul went to the synagogue daily and would try to show these people daily through the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. And I love the Bereans because it says that they searched the scriptures daily to see if these things were true. Okay, case in point, I got two guys that are freshmen on the football team that I love. They're everything that you would want um, as a college student coming in. They're faithful. They show up every time. They went to church. Uh, they served in their church. They listened to podcasts. And as I got to know them over the course of three months or whatnot, I simply sat down and said, hey, let's, okay, let's take the next step, man. How often do you guys read the Bible? What do you know about the Bible? We don't really ever, we don't really read our Bible. They don't ever read the Bible on their own. 
I said, okay, how much do you guys, do you guys pray at all? Do you, no, not really. So I simply said, hey, we're going to start going through the scriptures and start going through the word. You know what they did? We got through one chapter in chapter Mark, and uh, the guy, at the end of the chapter, the guy was, man, why are there so many demon-possessed people? Because in Mark chapter 1, there's like three stories about demon-possessed people, and it led into this two-hour conversation about spiritual warfare and all this stuff. And so for him, he's doing exactly that. He's like, hey, we're going to read one chapter. He gets through one chapter. And he's like, oh, what is, oh, what is this? And that's oftentimes what can happen when we start reading through the scriptures or just start looking at it afresh or maybe from a different perspective other than our Western lens. Okay. And so that's kind of where I want to go this morning. Um, and, and I'm going to incorporate kind of my testimony and a lot of what I've learned from Jim Simbola, if you know who he is, man, really impacted my life on where we're going this morning. But for, to start out with my man, for someone who didn't grow up in the church, man, I didn't, um, you know, I, I got saved at age 21, and I really didn't have any church experience, and the thoughts that I had towards the church and towards Christians were negative. You know, I thought they were idiots. I thought it was, was like, you guys are morons, um, and, and so I just did not associate anything good with Christianity. I, I had all these preconceived ideas, and so when I got saved, man, I started reading the Bible, and I started to go to church. I started to serve in a college ministry. Um, and after about six to nine months, man, my, my joy, the joy of my salvation was kind of just sucked dry. And I began to just think like, man, something is very wrong. And uh, the guy who was discipling me, I was introduced to another guy. Um, and these two men in my life really started to show me something along with what I was seeing and experiencing. I started to see and experience in the sea in the scriptures, experience with these older men that, that man, I'm like, there's something in the scriptures I'm not seeing that's not translating in what I'm experiencing in church life and college ministry and then what I'm learning from these two guys and what I see in them, especially in their prayer life where they would pray, like they would really pray. They'd be, they'd be weeping. They'd be, and I would just sit there and go, what is, whoa, there's something there that they had that I was like, man, that, that, why don't, what, what is that? And it caused me to search the scriptures. Caused me to say, man, what is going on? There was so much talk of the Holy Spirit that these guys talked about. And I remember reading about a little bit about the Holy Spirit. I got on my pink highlighter. Man, I went, I remember thinking, okay, Acts and Corinthians talk about, I think, a lot of the, the Holy Spirit and, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So I just started highlighting a bunch of stuff. And that's where I went on this really big journey of just like really seeing like, huh, but what am I reading and seeing versus what I'm seeing in the church and experiencing the church. It seemed to be a little bit of a, a disconnect. And even to the point where I was about probably seven, eight years into my salvation. And by this time I was on staff with a college minister at Calvary Chapel, Corvallis. Um, but I remember kind of hitting this place of burnout. And I'll never forget this. I had to remember it in my mind. I could see it. I could picture it now. I could see myself. And we had a prayer room at the church. And I walked past there. And it was as if God from the prayer room whispered, Scott, come here. I want to show you something. I remember stopping, kind of just looking over at the prayer room, and, and I just walked in. I was just a tired, weary soul, and I probably spent the next four hours in there, but it felt like one. Like, I walked out of there. It was dark out already, and I was just like, but I came out, and it was as if I tapped into something that I had been reading about. It's like I tapped into something that I, I, that, that I hadn't really yet experienced, but I started to see in these people 
And, uh, and yeah, I just continued to go on this journey where, where I was just reading stuff in the scriptures, looking at how we're doing church, what we're doing in our ministry, and kind of like, ah, what is going on here? There began to be this wrestling, and, and um, I began to see that, that this prayer, this theme of prayer that we're going to look at um, is a really big theme in the life of Jesus and through the early church. But the problem is, the problem is churches and our culture church really isn't set up that way. It's really not set up the way I think scripture and the way Jesus and Paul and some of the New Testament writers describe and put prayer as a priority. Now, you might think, geez, Scott, that sounds really, really uh, maybe critical of the church, and I'm not trying to be critical. I'm not against Sunday morning church. I just think that the heartbeat of church throughout the seven days of the week should be some prayer. Or another way to say that is the furnace of a church and your personal life should be the inner workings of a prayer life. Okay, and and I think you know I think when we hear that we can sit there and go, man, I, I oh with another sermon on prayer, you know. But but I think it's kind of like my kids that when I tell them I love them, they're like, I know. You always tell. I did this with Micah the other day. Micah, guess what? What? Daddy loves you. I know, Dad. You always tell us that. Well, I want them to know it, and they know it to where it annoys them. And I think that uh, the last thing I want to do is is you know, preach another sermon on prayer where we just kind of go, oh gosh, another, another prayer sermon. Man, don't take that for granted because I, I, what I'm going to try to do is come from a, a different angle um, because honestly, what I see in the life of Jesus, especially one, probably one of the most stunning pictures of Jesus, if you were to, if I were to say, man, get an image of Jesus in your mind right now, what do you think of? I think honestly, this picture would probably be one of the last ones. I've never seen a painting. I've seen a lot of paintings of Jesus. We can think of Jesus on the cross, Jesus carrying the lamb on his shoulders, the prodigal son painting. Uh, we can think of Jesus and playing with the children. We can see Jesus healing people. But I don't think in our wildest dreams we could ever really picture Jesus the way we see him in John chapter 2 and again later in Mark chapter 11. So I'm going to read out of John chapter 2, because this is where we're going. John chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. Jesus, so Jesus walked to Jerusalem, and he went into the temple courtyard. He noticed it was filled with merchants selling oxen, lambs, and doves for exorbitant prices, while others were overcharging as they exchanged currency behind their counters. So Jesus found some rope. Check this out. He found some road, rope and made it into a whip. Then he drove out of them their animals out of the courtyard and the temple and kicked over the tables filled with money, scattering it everywhere. And he shouted at the merchants, Get these things out of here. Don't you dare, listen to this language, don't you dare make my father's house into a center for merchandise. That's when his disciples remembered the scripture, I am consumed with a fiery passion to keep your house pure. Now this is the first time Jesus does this. In his first year of ministry, he actually did this the last year of his ministry and it's recorded in Mark chapter 11, verse uh, 15 through 17. I'm just gonna read just a little section a couple verses. Then he began to teach the people. After he thrashed the people out, he does the same exact thing, okay? He thrashes everyone out, and then he says this, does not the scripture say, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all 
the world, but you have made it a den of thieves. Now, here's the point. Jesus comes into the temple, which is a place of worship, which is the place where the very presence of God dwelt in the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant and the cherubim, God's presence actually dwelt there. If you remember some of the famous stories where Moses would go meet with God face to face, and at one time he came out and he was glowing, okay? That, that's what this place is. This is the place where Jesus gets really passionate because it's a place where his father Father dwells. And the thing that the Father says that Jesus repeats about the temple is that this house is to be called a house of prayer for all nations. You think of the wailing wall, the famous picture of the wailing wall where the Jews go up against the wall and putting prayers in there. Um, it's one of the most famous places of the world. It's kind of the epicenter of the world and of the Bible and what's going on now um, throughout Jewish history. The reason that they go to that wall wall is because the temple was destroyed. It was rebuilt by Herod. But that is the wall that gets them closest to where the Ark of the Covenant actually was. And so they think, man, if I can get here to this wall, man, I am close to God's presence. That's how powerful that that Ark of the Covenant, God's presence is. And that's what Jesus gets passionate about because his presence is there. That, and, and his heart is that, man, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. The people that were there that Jesus kicked out, they were actually supposed to be there. But as we read in the, in the Passion Translation, does a lot of commentary for you. It says that, that, man, they were there. They were just making a buck. They did not have the heartbeat of the temple. They did not have the heartbeat of the Father. They didn't understand. They had lost connection with what they were supposed to be doing. And again, they just fell into tradition. Kind of what I had mentioned at the beginning. They just started going through the motion. And not only were they going through the motion, they started to say, hey, maybe we can charge these people a little bit more money. They don't know anything. And, and we can start making some money. And Jesus comes into this environment and physically just thrashes them out of there. Man, that is an, it's just a, you think about Jesus, again, all the different pictures of Jesus. And man, he flat out gets irate. Flat out irate. And it's a stunning picture of Jesus, but I love it, again, that he quotes. There's a lot of things he probably could have said, a lot of scriptures he could have quoted, but he chose to quote that scripture out of Isaiah that my father's house shall be called a house of prayer. And not only this, but we see this theme all throughout the New Testament. Does anybody know, see if you're all here, I'd probably ask you to raise your hand. I, I have volunteers later, but I can't do that. But um, think about this. Do you remember how the early church was born in Acts chapter 2? What were they doing? Nothing. They were really just in an upper room. Jesus said, go wait for me. They were simply worshiping and praying and the spirit of God's poured out. That's all they were doing, worshiping and praying. Who's in charge? No one. Just simply says that while they were in worship and prayer and waiting on God, the Spirit of God was poured out. The church was born. Worship and prayer. Think about this. This is really powerful. When Saul was converted to Paul, he's blinded on the Damascus Road. God says, go to this certain place and wait. Meanwhile, after a few days, 
this man, Ananias, has a dream, and in his dream, God comes to him and says, Ananias, I want you to go to this guy, Saul, and I want you to go pray for him. And Ananias says, whoa, 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 I'm not going to this guy. He's a persecutor of the church. He's evil. I'm not doing it. This is a bad man. I've heard about what he's done to your people. And this is what God says in response to Ananias. As if this is the real deal, Ananias. As if this is to say, hey, you can go because he's actually doing this for the first time. You know what it says? It says, for behold, he prays. That's it. That's it. Ananias, you can go for behold, he prays. For the first time in Paul's religious life, you know anything about Paul? He's the most religious person on planet earth. There's no one in the world that probably could outdo this guy in his religiosity. He was a Pharisee, a Pharisee of Pharisees. I mean, he had the first five books of the Bible memorized, the whole nine yards. And for the first time, he's offering up a true prayer. But it's, it's interesting, and it's hard to even explain. Like, the reason Ananias can go is because he prays. For the first time, he prays. We see in Acts chapter 4, when John and Peter were arrested, he said, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Now, they were arrested and put in prison, and then they got out, and they went back. Where'd they go back to? A prayer meeting. And they prayed. They didn't hold a political meeting. They didn't go out and protest. They didn't do any of that stuff. They simply prayed. They simply gave thanks and prayed. In Acts chapter 13, verse 2, while they were worshiping, this is where a bunch of the disciples were together, kind of like, hey, what do we do next? While they were worshiping before the Lord in prayer and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, quote, I have called Barnabas and Saul to an important work for me. Now release them to go fulfill it. So after they had fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and sent them off. I love that. Again, what were they doing? They weren't doing anything but worshiping and praying, and the Holy Spirit spoke. There was no agenda other than like, hey, let's just, we're going to worship. What do we do? I don't know. Let's just, let's just worship and pray and ask God. And as they're worshiping, praying, fasting, the Holy Spirit spoke. Man, that speaks volumes to worship and prayer and I think in, in kind of summary of the book of Acts, we can look at the book of Acts and just simply say this. If you were to read the book of Acts, and this is where I saw a big, I feel like a disconnect where we can look at Acts and just say, wow, there's a lot of profound things in that book that just make us wonder, like, wow, what am I seeing in Acts that I'm not seeing now? We read the Gospels and like, wow, like I said with those football players, we're reading through it. We're just seeing miracles and prayer and all this stuff in the life of Jesus. But we're seeing this massive disconnect in our own lives. And it's challenging. It's good. And I watch these football players starting to like get it and start to move in it and walk in it and start to want to pray more and do these things. And so, again, just going back to reading the scriptures is so important to kind of give us our uh, or, or the biblical lens of what God wants us to do. Continue on with this theme. If you think of uh, Paul planting churches, he plants a church in Ephesus, and then he raises up this young guy, Timothy. And in 1 Timothy, um, 
Paul raises up this guy, Timothy, plants a church, says, Timothy, you take over. Paul leaves. And then in the course of that time, he writes Timothy two letters. And in 1 Timothy, um, and the, Timothy and Titus are known as pastoral epistles, right? And so what Paul, a lot of pastors will look say, okay, you know, if, if pastoral 101, you want to know how to set up your church, pick elders, deacons, all this kind of stuff. You kind of go there. You go there and say, this is what a deacon is. This is what a role of an elder is and all this kind of stuff. If you're a pastor, you kind of read those and study those. And, and, and there's exhortation from Paul to Timothy. But listen to the first thing that Paul tells Timothy. I urge you then, 1 Timothy chapter 2, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those who are in authority. He lists out four different types of prayer. Not only that, he says, first of all, Timothy, in your church, first of all, prayers, petitions, thanksgiving, intercessions, be made for all people in your church, Timothy. This is what is supposed to happen. And there's a ton of scriptures I could go through. Um, and I'll just close with this last one. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 8, he says, uh, Paul, uh, in this scripture, uh, John, the apostle John, is just getting a vision. Jesus is speaking to him, and he's writing all this stuff down. And he says this, and when I heard, when, when he and when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls. Check this out. Picture this. They were all holding golden bowls of sweet, fragrant incense, which are the prayers of God's people. So somehow... Our prayers, when we pray, somehow they're kept in these bowls and they're so precious to God that they're like incense that rise and are this sweet-smelling aroma to God. I mean, what is prayer to God that it smells that sweet? I mean, you think about it. This is, you think about, you know, when you come home from a long day and you smell the neighbors or your, your wife or your husband is barbecuing and you step out of your car and you're like, oh my gosh, oh, that smells so good. And you start to salivate, right? Or you walk in the kitchen and, and you just smell your favorite meal being cooked and you salivate. Man, to think that, man, when we pray, that when we lift our voice and when we engage our heart with God and we just lift our voice to God, that, that man, our, our prayers are somehow kept in these bowls and, and that they rise to God and God smells them and takes delight in what we say. Now, this topic uh, of prayer is, is massive, right? I mean, there's books, there's eons and thousands of books that can be written. Man, my simple point this morning is that the heartbeat, the atmosphere, the aroma of the church, the aroma of your life, the aroma of your house, the aroma and atmosphere of your inner life should be something along these lines. My house shall be called a house of prayer. Now, I know that the Old Testament temple doesn't exist anymore, but man, God says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, that God inhabits us. 
that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And this theme of prayer that runs through the Old Testament, through the life of Jesus that he gets so passionate about, through the early church should somehow be going on today. And I think, man, as a church body at large, all the way down to our individual lives, we need to re-examine what we're doing. Because honestly, I think there's a lot of you right now that if you were honest, if you're to be honest right now, and if I were to ask you, say, man, how's your Christian life? How's it? To get honest and say, man, what's going on in the inner person? I think the majority of people, and this is simply coming from people I talk to and 99% of the college students I work with, I think if we're honest, there's going to be this like, hey, things are good. You can say, ah, things are good. And "Ah, I'm doing okay. I'm doing this. I'm struggling here, blah, 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 blah. But I think deep, deep down, there is a longing of like, I feel like something's missing. I feel like there is a deep void within my life. And I think my experience and what I've experienced that people just start to go this direction, man, there starts to be life in areas where there wasn't life. So what I want to do is I want to close. I want to close with several just applications um, that I found helpful in my life. Um, that I've practiced, that I've learned, um, that, that, you know, can help you, you know, like, what, where do I begin? What do I do? How do I apply this stuff to my life? Uh, I just want to give you some things that, that have helped me. Um, but before I say that, um, you know, you might say, hey, that, you know, Scott, that's really, that's really, and I just want to reiterate this. Um, you might say, hey, that's really good for you, and that might have been your style and in, in your college ministry and, and all that stuff. But, man, th- this isn't my style. This isn't me. This is Jesus. This is why Jesus was turning over tables and kicking people out. This is why Paul is telling Timothy, hey, first of all, so it's not your style. It's not my style. It's not this or that. It's not what we do. It's not, what, it's not the American church. It's, it's whatever. This is Jesus. These are the words of Jesus. Okay, some people, I, well, I, I, you know, I, I pray a little bit, but, whoa, you're asking me to, well, hey, you, you take it up with God, Okay. You, 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 man, you search the scriptures and you tell me if you see something different. But I'll close with this, these applications. Um, I, do have, I do have one, one more quote before I get to those applications from Jim Simbla, who wrote a great book. He said, let me make a bold statement. Let me make a bold statement. Christianity is not predominantly a teaching religion. Ooh, We have been almost overrun these days by the cult of the speaker. The person who can stand up and expound correct doctrine is viewed as essential. Without such a talent, the church would not know what to do. We have made the sermon the centerpiece of the meeting rather than the throne of grace. The teaching of sound doctrine is a prelude, if you will, to the supernatural. And man, I couldn't agree with more, couldn't agree more with what Jim Simbola said. Because again, I'll, and again, I'll just say this, did Jesus, you know, is, pe- is preaching essential? Absolutely. Is what we do on Sunday morning, what Sean does through the scriptures, essential? Absolutely. What takes place here on Sunday morning is essential. But did Jesus say, or did God say, my house shall be called a house of preaching? No, my house shall be called a house of prayer. 
What about teaching? Is my house a house of teaching? No, my house shall be called a house of prayer. What about worship? Man, David, Psalms. Man, worship was a big deal in the Old Testament. Worship is a big deal now. Worship is a, one of the main things in my life, part of my quiet times and my inner workings of my life. Worship is huge. But not my house shall be called a house of worship. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. So here it is, application number one. And I'll just start out with the, the lyrics of a song because I just heard this yesterday. And we all know the song because it's played over and over on Caleb and other stations. But it says this, God's not dead. He is surely alive. He's living on the inside, roaring like a lion. Now there's this phrase that Jesus used or Paul uses where he says, Christ in you over and over and over again Christ in you you are in Christ I had mentioned earlier about the Holy Spirit dwelling in you okay Christ in you and I think that that man that there's this biblical truth that Christ is in you that there is this lion that is within you that longs to come out that longs to partner with the inner man or woman and longs to come out in a cry or in a prayer for whatever the situation or person that's before you but man we have to understand and tap into the fact that Christ is in you that man, that when you pray, it's not just words, but there's this ability to say, Jesus, Holy Spirit in me, I have this situation, I have this wayward child, and God, I need your help, and, and would you just show me and just get real and acknowledge the fact that Christ is in you, that there's a lion within you that wants to come out and, and actually roar in a prayer. Christ in you. I want to start there. Second application. Man, I have found it just so fruitful to be honest. Just be honest. I'll never forget. I might be trying not to cross the line here, but I'll never forget the first time I, I, when I got saved, I, I, for whatever reason, I just felt like certain emotions were sin. So I might have a situation and I'd get this moan of kind of like, oh, anger, frustration. And I remember thinking, oh, oh God, I, oh, I shouldn't feel that way. Certain emotions, I felt like, man, I shouldn't feel this way. Oh, it's wrong. I'd be confessing. I feel bad. But I'll never forget a time where I was, and I could, again, it's one of those memories, I could picture it right now. And I was so upset. I remember taking my wallet out of my back pocket and just throwing it as hard as I could against my wall. And I dropped an F-bomb at the moment. And it was a prayer. It was a prayer. I was like, God, I, da 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 you know, and threw this thing. And I had, and I just went off for like 30 seconds to a minute. But I got done. I kind of had this little tissy fit. And I just got done. I was like, I just felt this pleasure I just if I could put it in words I felt like God came to me and said thank you thank you for being honest thank you for being real and I, because I felt light after I felt like oh it felt weird okay now I'm not advocating and saying that hey just start dropping f-bombs and cussing in your prayer time but I would say that every once in a while it's okay there's got to be a place for you to, to man if Jesus is not a safe place for you to be honest and so where are you going to do it? Where are you going to do it? Jesus is the safest place that you can go. I'm on a phone last week with a friend of mine whose father tried to take his own life. So a day later, I'm on the phone with one of my close friends. What do you think he's saying to me? Do you think he's, oh, oh oops, and... No, it is what is the most real conversation. And it wasn't just talking to me. He's talking to God at the same time, even though I'm on the other line. 
is the most real, honest conversation that we can have. So be honest. Be honest. Number three, I have found it helpful to worship first. Worship first. I have found that I can go into a time, let's say I have 30 minutes. I can go pray for 30 minutes and honestly, hey, that's great. That's great. But I have found that, that honestly, if I worship for 30 minutes or 45 minutes, I can just, no agenda, just worship. And honestly, I can pray for five minutes and be done. Because I just, again, I'm tapping into that line. I'm just waiting on God. Similar to what we saw, what some of the scriptures I read in the, in the uh, earlier in Acts, where I'm just worshiping. I'm, I'm just, woo, I'm enjoying the presence of God. And then, and, uh, you know, and I could pray. Just whether it's five minutes, 15 minutes or longer, but I could pray. And, and just after five minutes, 10 minutes, I could be like, huh, I prayed what God wanted me to pray. I prayed what was on my heart. I'm done. I can leave. So worship uh, plays a huge part. The fourth thing, it kind of ties into that. It's getting the Father's heart. Now, this is where I would have volunteers, okay? What I would say is, is this, when t- getting the Father's heart. Here's what we tend to do. Picture, if I, if I ask for three volunteers, here's what we tend to do uh, with prayer. And there's nothing wrong with this. They want to criticize this. But we said, hey, let's pray. And pretend three people just gathered and started praying and I think what often Jesus does is he stands there in a large group of people or he's looking around and then he says, oh, these people are going to pray. I want to help out. I want to join in. I want to, I want to, whatever. I want to be there, right? I want to be there. And uh, they link arms. And the problem is Jesus is kind of on the outside going, oh, I really, ooh, ooh, I want in. I want to help out. I want to, I want, I want to actually be in the circle. So what I would suggest is this, like when you, whether you pray with people or by yourself, you take a moment, five seconds, 30 seconds, a minute, and invite Jesus in, invite the Holy Spirit to take a hand or stand in the center and say, Jesus, what's on your heart? What's on your heart? When I get up this morning, I finish my notes, I just do some stuff, I go to a prayer room for an hour and a half, I lay my notes down, and that's what I do. I just say, Jesus, have your way. I've just, you know, you want to change something for this morning, you do it. You do it. I, I do, you do what you want to do, but is there anything that you want to do? I want your heart for this morning. I don't want it just to be a, a teaching. I don't want it just to be notes. God, I want your heart to be conveyed. So get the Father's heart for times of prayer. Get the Father's heart. And I'd say lastly, um, we'll close with this, is you just have to experience it. You know, I think uh, three weeks ago, Aaron, we did a worship night. And those nights where, you know, you never know what's going to happen or how many people are going to come. And I've done those where it's like two people come. And those times, like, well, a lot of people got, I was honestly like, dude, there's like 25 people there. It's 20, 25 people that showed up and it was awesome. It was everything that we kind of talked about. We didn't know what we were doing. We just kind of, you know, Aaron opened up, just said, hey, we're going to worship. Um, and really not have an agenda. And we worshiped for about 45 minutes or so. And then we just started praying. And it was, it was awesome. It was great to just sit in the presence of God. And so I know that as this virus thing gets over, I know that we talked about doing more of those. Man, I would just encourage you, like, you got to experience it. You got to do it. Um, and then I have some three book recommendations that I'll give during the, during the, live, uh, during the Q&A that'll be helpful. But Aaron, if you want to come up and we'll, we'll close. Um, I'm just going to close in prayer. This morning, Jesus, God, I thank you. Lord, I know that the, the time is so, always so short. And Lord, with a topic like this, God, it's something that's so 
ingrained in me, Jesus. I just, I just pray that the little that was given today would at least spark some kind of interest, spark some kind of thinking, spark some kind of like, um, yeah, just some, some kind of desire. I, I, I just pray that people would feel permission today that they can get out of their box, Lord, that, that they can get out of their box of a routine prayer, Lord, that they can come to you like the disciples did at this thing called prayer. When they watched you, Jesus, pray, I think they were so intrigued to the point where it's the only thing that the disciples ever asked you to do or asked you to teach them was to pray. Would you teach us to pray? And out of that came the Lord's Prayer. And so, Lord, I pray that right now, right now, people would simply, in the silence of their heart, would say, teach me to pray. Teach me to pray, God. And you'd take people on a journey. Take people deeper, Lord, into communion and into your heart, Jesus. And so I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.